Hello and welcome to episode four of the Moto Noobs Moto GP podcast. We are the Moto Noobs. I'm Trent. I'm here with Amanda. Hi, everyone. And we are here to cover round four, the first round to happen in MotoGP's native soil in Europe, in Jerez, Spain. Now, we got to start off the buzz this episode. <laughs> the, oh, you're laughing for some reason, Amanda. Well, yes, because that was a play on words that I just appreciate. The terrible pun. We love terrible puns. Mm-hmm. We, the Moto Noobs, love the terrible puns. Because, yeah. <laughs> Tell us why it's a fun. Why don't you tell the story, Amanda? Okay, so Cal Crutchlow on the LCR Honda number 35 um, apparently had a um, rider, yeah, a stowaway. That's the word. A stowaway. Stowaway, okay. Um, in his leathers while he was doing his qualifying laps. Um in the second qualifying session turns out it was a wasp it stung him several times in the chest as he was um riding and then there's this lovely video of him freaking out because it moved over to his arm and he's like flapping his arm like a bird and that must have been awful but the video is hilarious (laughs) yeah and so when he pulls up to to stop his bike um, he just like freaks out kind of and unzips his leathers and just shakes it and then is hitting the sleeve against the wall trying to kill this thing and it, it anyway it was pretty funny to watch <laughs> <laughs> well, what blows me away is the guy gets his really short qualifying session interrupted by an angry insect mm-hmm. and he still qualifies on the front row yeah uh, I don't know. Have you seen the data? Do you know if he managed to get his fast lap in before or after being injected by insect venom? Um, I think it was before, at least before he freaked out. It'd have to be. I mean, I don't think I would be able to do anything with any degree of focus after that. Yeah. In the press conference afterwards, he said that he was fine when it was on his chest because it was... I. It just, it freaked him out when it moved, because I guess he thought it was dead, and uh, then it wasn't. So, yeah. He he just said it, it was fine when it was on his chest, because he could focus, apparently, while it was there. But when it moved, he wasn't able to focus anymore. I, I yeah, that must have been very traumatic. <laughs> I I've don't got envy that. I've myself, and yeah, that's... Ugh terrible thing but man it just reinforces how much this sport is so much like a cartoon and i love it <laughs> and then when you see the cartoons of the cartoon oh yeah the mini uh the mini gp people yeah, yeah where highly he's recommend like, that uh he's like running around if you don't look at uh the mini gp cartoons they're they're pretty fun they really do a good job condensing the major things of the race and putting some fun words in the writers mouths mm-hmm. um Although, yeah, Crutchlow's qualifying. That does take us to a, an interesting story. On the grid, we had an all-Honda front row on what's apparently traditionally sort of a Yamaha track. Well, and Rossi won last year on this track. That's so, true, he did. Um, typically, I think it does lend itself to the Yamahas just because of the... Is it the braking areas that lends to them? I can't remember. I don't know. I think, uh, well, the Yamahas tend to be very high cornering speed bikes. They okay. carry a lot of momentum. Okay. 
and what from is. what I understand, it's a pretty flowy track that lends itself to that sort of thing. But for whatever reason, they were just lacking traction today. I mean, or granted, the highest qualifying Yamaha was Vinales in fourth, so absolutely respectable. Um, but then Rossi was down in seventh. The satellite Yamaha of Johan Zarco on the Tech 3, number five, was in sixth, though. I mean, they qualified With okay, Fulger not great. right behind him, too. All four well, Yamahas were in the top ten. Top ten, but Fulger was way down in ninth. He was behind Lorenzo. Um, but, you know, they were there. They were, they were kind of middling for mm -hmm. them. Uh, you would have expected them to be Yamaha, 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 maybe interrupted by a Honda, but pretty much mostly Yamahas up there, but... They they weren't doing so great. We had that all Honda front row. That was fascinating. But, yeah, Crutchlow, I really was able to condense his whole weekend down to one line in my notes. Let me see here. Crutchlow, B, uh, qualified third, and then tragedy struck, lap five, crashed from fourth place. Yeah. He was doing so awesome, started from third, but what really kicks me was how he wound up in fourth place was that that Frenchman, Johan Zarco, we mentioned a minute ago, on the satellite Yamaha. He just had a fantastic race. I um, think he's another Sunday racer where he just shows up, and clear. it's clear why he was the second, the reigning Moto2 champion. He's just good. No, I, I wouldn't just call him a Sunday racer. I mean, well, to qualify sixth place. Definitely. Like, he qualified ahead of Valentino Rossi. But he's not really a rookie, even though he's a rookie to... This is his first year racing in. I guess that's what I was trying to express. That Okay. We kind of think of him as this rookie because it's his first year racing in MotoGP. The top but class. he's a veteran racer, just not but a veteran on these machines. Definitely. So, yeah, I've just going through my race notes, and I just keep seeing his name pop up. And far and away the most exciting racing that we saw in this last event was from Johan Zarco. Guy starts off in sixth place, gets stuck behind Valentino Rossi on turn one. Rossi got a pretty good start. And then passes with a nudge at turn two. There is visible contact between the two of them <laughs> in turn two. Bikes everywhere waiting to just run you over. But he sneaks it past. Rossi comes back at him on turn seven with a really remarkable pass. That was great on the on done by the the goat there i think but my notes my notes for that pass are the classic let's see where is it yeah the classic pass is what the commentators called it i just had the word clean written in all caps <laughs> um so rossi came back at turn seven and zarko got him again at turn nine this is just lap one it's just yeah. lap one, and it just keeps going from there. He passes Vinales on lap two, turn six. Um, he passes... Uh, I'm not sure where he gets in there, but he uh, he gets past Crutchlow somehow, somewhere. I'm not sure where. But then by lap four, he's on Marc Marquez, the reigning world champion, started from second. Uh, remember, Pedrosa started from uh, pole position, first place, and really ran away with it. Picture-perfect race from him. And you get Zarco on the satellite Yamaha just battling with Mark Marquez, <laughs> the current reigning champion. And it's amazing to see the guy. He goes past Rossi. He goes past Marquez. He just deals with everybody, and he just gives them no quarter. He's no respecter of persons. It's fantastic to see him just dice it up with no fear. There's no intimidation in the guy. It's great. <laughs> I like seeing that, just that he's... 
he's kind of making himself known by saying, hey, I'm a racer too. And just because you guys have more world titles than I do doesn't make you me any less of a racer. Which... I mean, it, for him to ignore Rossi's comment of, you should probably be a little quieter on the track, um, <clears throat> says a lot. Well, to be fair, I don't think any of these guys would listen to anyone telling them advice, giving them advice to calm down on track. Mm, no. They, they got to the top level of motorsport for a reason. They're willing and able to take re- risks, and every single one of them is just superhuman. Um, unfortunately for Zarco, his... Cinderella's story sort of started to flatten out around lap five. He really started losing grip in that rear tire. Well, that's because uh, Mark... he was on the... He was one of... One, two... The f- well, only he was on a medium, four... wasn't it? Yeah, he was one of four racers to be on medium front and medium rear. Okay, so it was the rear that started to lose him. Uh, there's a lot of talk about riders losing grip as the race went on since just temperatures were heating up so much during the race. Mm-hmm. And I guess the uh, Michelins really, their expectations sort of shifted. So, I mean, most of the people were on the hard, but for whatever reason, that medium front really paid dividends for the guys that used it. Uh, Johan Zarka was having a great time with that medium front tire. Um, however, that rear just really got chewed up. And you could see later on when he was trying to deal with, trying to fight off uh, Jorge Lorenzo on but- lap eight when... Oh, go ahead. Lorenzo was one of those four as well that was medium-medium. Yeah, he he was. And Lorenzo was able to, I don't know, for whatever reason, that Ducati, which really doesn't make sense to hold on to the rear better than the Yamaha, but whatever. I Um, think it was probably just Lorenzo's riding style. That's that's true. He's as smooth as butter. Silky, silky smooth. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a beautiful thing. He, He really, really does know how to take care of that rubber. Um, but yeah, you could really see poor Zarco just that back tire was just spinning it mm-hmm. up in the turns. Mm-hmm. There was nothing left. And the fact that he was able to hold on to fourth in those conditions is kind of miraculous. It speaks really well to his riding capabilities. So he was the fastest Yamaha when he finished in fourth. Um, and a lot of that was tended to be attributed to that front, that medium front, which you're right. Lorenzo also had, and Lorenzo had a pretty great story as well. <laughs> We're really happy for him. Yeah. I mean, what a birthday week. Um, he had his birthday on that Thursday and then finished in in third place on the podium for the first time with his Ducati. Um, so I think it's it, it's a measure of finally seeing him kind of come into his own and figure out how to work his bike. Yeah, there really is a lot to be said there, though. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons made to when Rossi went to Ducati uh, years ago to, you know, be even more Italian, I guess, mm-hmm. and just struggled for a couple of years before finally going back to Yamaha and back to his winning ways. And with Lorenzo struggling in the off season and struggling at the beginning of the season, I mean, it was almost considered a victory that he made it. That he started in Q two to begin with. The mm-hmm. fact that he qualified eighth, everyone was like, "Oh, all right, Rossi's you know hitting his game." And then to shoot straight up into that podium with a well run race—that's very good. I mean, he looked. He looked happier than i think marquez did when he won the championship oh, yeah. last year in in the inner exit interview um lorenzo said that yeah this third position win is better than some victories that he's had um oh. and i think just because he's been working so hard where um in some of his interviews he was saying he's been hitting the gym a lot harder and 
been working. He said this is the hardest he's worked in his career to try and become good on this bike. And I think it's starting to show. Well, that is great to hear. Mm -hmm. When we were talking to each other before the season started, there was a lot of, well, a lot of me saying at least, that there's nothing I want more than to have every single factory be in contention for the win every time. Mm -hmm. And I know that with Honda and Yamaha, the closest one to being that third hat in the ring is that Ducati. And I'm so thrilled to see them have the bike and have the rider to be able to do that. Davizioso has been doing great things this season, but they hired Lorenzo to win. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think Davi Davizioso is doing pretty much what he always does, is get points and be taken out. (laughs) Poor guy. I'm sad to say. Well, the two things are kind of uh, antithetical to one another, I think. But he is, from what I hear, an excellent development writer. So there's no doubt that's contributing to the improvement. I mean, he has the job for a reason. Oh, yeah. Really fantastic stuff. So, so thrilled to see... Ducati back up in there, even if the Yamahas were languishing. I mean, I'm looking at my, uh, let's see, where's my finish notes? Yeah, the Yamahas, with the exception of Zarco in fourth, we did not see so many great things. We had Vinales in seventh, Rossi in tenth. No, uh, sorry, Vinales in sixth, Rossi in tenth. Um, Jonas Folger on the other Tech 3 Yamaha was in eighth. Mm -hmm. So Yamaha was really suffering. But I know the two factory Yamahas were saying that it just felt like they just didn't weren't comfortable on the tires and that it felt like they were riding on ice everywhere. Well, I don't think anyone was comfortable on the tires. I mean, no. the safety car, the the BMW fast car, I think, what is it, an M2? Something four like that. fat pieces of rubber, many, many, many times the level of grip, or not necessarily the level, but many, many times the contact patch of rubber to the ground of any of these bikes. A lot less quick, a lot less high-strung. That thing crashed in on race day in between the Moto2 and Moto GP races. Um, and so to see that thing that's not going full race pace, that's not trying to pass somebody, that's not giving it its all just crash, that speaks volumes as to how slick the surface was and what mm-hmm. these guys were dealing with. But clearly it was safe enough for them to race. Let's point that out. It, it was safe to race. It wasn't like someone was going out there spraying oil on the track and yeah, they would have a villain with yeah. a mustache and a can of WD forty. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that your job? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always. I always like to joke that if I were in charge of the race uh, for my own amusement, I would install sprinklers at random corners and just force the teams to deal with my sadistic side. Just because I'm the worst kind of fan, I just want <laughs> things to happen for my own amusement, um, to yeah. the detriment of the poor, poor people to go through it. Because let's face it, happy days are not good entertainment. Well, so then you would like Mark Marquez's comment that um, he loves his fans because that's what he's racing for. If there, if there's no one in, he's there to put on a good show. And My kind uh, of guy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's always a show in, through every corner that he goes through. You know, until he has learned, he finally learned his lesson last year to back off occasionally. Yeah. And it was I was kind of bummed to see that. He was trying so hard to catch Pedrosa the whole race. Um, yeah, and we've been skirting on this, but we really need to just dive into the Pedrosa story. Um, <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah, why don't you just tell us the Pedrosa story, and we'll just hit on Marquez as we need to. Okay, okay. Um, so Danny Pedrosa 
had an amazing race weekend. He was top of the timesheets in, I believe he was top in the free practices. Really? All the practice sessions as well as Q2? Um, Not all of them, but I think at least two of them. Okay. Um, But obviously enough to qualify into Q2. Um, so, and he, so he, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Like Trent said, he was the top of the timesheets in Q2. And so he qualified on the pole position, which means first position on the grid. And then he had a solid race. He had one of the cleanest starts I've seen. And (laughs) that's coming from a newbie. Um, but it was just a solid, clean start. And he was in first the entire race and had pretty much a one second lead or more on average ahead of Mark Marquez. No, hold on. I'm flipping through my notes here. For a lot of the race, Marquez was really trying to uh, well, most catch of, him. Most of the gaps were 1.6 to 1.3. There were a few... Um, a few laps towards the end where Marquez was push starting to push and um the the gap um shortened to under a second but it never dropped down nine tenths of a second yeah it was he was closing but not close enough to really get any kind of slipstream on the straight or really mm-hmm. uh hook into him um I believe it was about yeah five or six maybe seven or eight i don't even know how many laps to the end but around yeah probably eight or nine laps from the end marquez just sort of realized you know pedrosa has this he's got better pace than me i can't hold on to this i really need the points and just let it go no it Um, was like the third lap to the the end when he decided okay so it was closer than that yeah my Mm -hmm. notes kind of cut off because i had to watch the race at work this week um that was fun anyway that so does... my favorite thing oh, about my favorite little interaction between Mark Marquez and Danny Pedrosa this weekend was um, in qualifying two, I believe it was, where they Mark kind of challenged Danny to be faster and kind of said, you know, with body language and I'm sure other things that... Um, Basically, if you go fast, I'm going to go faster. And in an interview, Danny said, Danny Pedrosa said, I took up the challenge and beat him and didn't let him fluster me um, and rose to the occasion. Yeah, if there's anybody who can fluster you, it's Mark Marquez. Oh, yeah. Repsol Honda. Yeah. He's And it's so fun to watch the two right next to each other when he is chasing him down because you've got... The one that is so wild, so all over the place, slippy, slidey, leg out, doing a tap dance. He'd probably go faster if he did have a bee in his suit, Mark Marquez. (laughs) And then Pedrosa, who is much more reminiscent of Jorge Lorenzo, who was able to somehow keep the back tire on a Ducati and make it work. Yeah. Uh, Very, very smooth. And so to see two guys that are so contrasting in their riding styles be right up against each other, it's just fantastic. Um. So in preparation for this, I did some research on Danny Pedrosa and learned a few things that I thought were pretty cool. So I want to share them with you, Trent, and Uh, our listeners. Yeah, we do. uh, He does get overlooked kind of a bit in the the face of his 
insane teammate. Yeah. Um, so Danny Pedrosa has won three world championship titles, but in the lower classes. Um, and one of the cool things about Danny Pedrosa is that he is the first rider to win at least one race for this for 16 consecutive seasons in the top class. Wait, um, he's been in he's been in the premier category for 16 years or is that just all of his world things uh, like 125cc, Moto2, whatever? I, no, he hasn't been in for 16 years, so it'd have to be just total his seasons in the MotoGP. Okay. Even the lower classes. Because, um, yeah, he started GP in 2006, so he's only been there for 10 years. Okay. Um, but he's had 53 victories in his whole career, which I thought was really cool. More than um, most. He's actually, um, in one of the articles I read, they were calling him one of the top losers because he comes in second place. Like, he hasn't won, um, which I don't think he's a loser, let me just say that. But in the sense that he's he hasn't won a championship in the MotoGP top class. Um, but he's come in second and third and fourth several times in his career. Um the last couple of years. Um, well, I know last year the main thing holding him back was the fact that he missed, seemed like, half the season. You had Nikki Hayden subbing in for him all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's the other thing. Uh, he has had 13 injuries during a race. So there's 13 races that he's been injured in in his career. And he's had 14 major surgeries during his career. Um, mostly I'm guessing on his collarbone. Um, but so he's kind of a, I mean, they, they joke about him being a lightweight, but he's five, two and maybe 120 pounds. Um, and I think sometimes that helps and sometimes it doesn't, I guess, but I'm not, I haven't read up on why that would be a disadvantage or not do you know anything about that i feel like it has less to do i mean these bikes are so powerful that the disadvantage you get from having a few extra pounds is <laughs> outweighed i get to say that by <laughs> the fact that they can reposition their body weight any ballast you have on the bike is sort of okay. fixed but they move around so much on the machine to get traction where they need it i mean you see them sticking their foot out to get more weight over the front tire or here or there and so he's able to leverage less weight over the front or over the rear. I mean, you constantly hear mm -hmm. the guys talk about uh, how he's unable to get much heat. He's not as able to put as much force into the front wire tire to heat it up because he just doesn't have as much mass there. Mm -hmm. um, also, with less mass comes less brute force. No matter how much you work out, that's what it comes down to. And then just the gyroscopic forces on these from these front wheels trying to turn those handlebars must be exhausting. Okay. So, well, didn't he have like arm pump surgery? Probably. At some point, I think that was two years ago, or something. But I I could see that. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely having all those technical disadvantages that balance off against the fact that maybe he, in theory, should have a little bit more acceleration due to lighter weight. But 
you know, I think on these machines, they're so potent that it becomes less of an issue until you're very large indeed. Mm-hmm. Like Laura Spaz, who's like six something. And or you know, Petruki, who, who's like the same. He's just huge. Honestly, I'm curious to see what those guys would be like on uh, on one of the factory bikes. And I wonder if someone of that size would be competitive or not. I, I bet they well, would. Well, Rossi, who is six. Two, I think. Oh yeah. Well, there we go. Disproven. Done. Yeah. Man, I need to look at these guys' vital stats. <laughs> it was actually really. I was paying more attention this time to Danny's riding style. Um, and he because he's shorter, he doesn't ever really get a knee down during the corners. Really. Yeah. It was really interesting to watch. I mean that weirds me out because i'm so used to seeing guys scrape elbows and yeah, the occasional chin he doesn't he he leans over but he i don't know if he has the same lean angle or not but he definitely isn't as close to the ground as say marquez is on the same corner yeah, that really weirds me out now that i think about it because as i understand it the rider is leaning off the bike so that the bike doesn't have to lean as far. And you're trying to get as much mass as you can into the turn to counterbalance the forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they still have less... a 60 angle lean or 60 degree lean angle. Oh, for sure. But with Danny Pedrosa having less mass to move inbound, that means he would have to move it farther to make up for the fact that it, to try and get the same lean angle on the bike. So I would think he would be, you know, hanging off even more to make up for that. Well, that's your homework. <laughs> oh my gosh, where I'll, I, I can get out the whiteboard. I can do the physics problem and. <laughs> no, I mean there, to there's walk, reasons to... I think these things. <laughs> no, I know, but your homework is to stare at slow the... down footage of Danny Pedrosa and just wonder what the heck is going on. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I my my conclusion is pretty much going to come down to witchcraft. Well, because that's how it is with all these things. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, so that's kind of the story of Pedrosa, just that this was also his home race. He's from Spain. I think this one is closer to his home than the other circuits in Spain. And so, Valencia. yeah, so it, it was definitely his race to win, I think. I'm pretty sure it's the home race for like half the grid because they're almost all Spanish or Italian. Well, yeah. I feel like it was also Lorenzo's home race. and Well, it's not Marquez's. He lives closer to a different one. Yeah, he was Valencia, right? I think so. Um, <laughs> but the three winners, or the three podium riders, were all Spanish. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Overall, I mean, not the greatest racing, except for Zarco. Oh, my gosh, Zarco. <laughs> um what a great show he put on. And otherwise, if it wasn't for Zarco's antics, it would have been, well, kind of like an F1 race with Pedrosa starting from pole and making a clean getaway and someone maybe thinking about passing him but not quite making it happen. Well, um, and definitely because there were so many gaps between all the riders through the whole oh, yeah. race. This is so, the first time... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, this is the first time I watched the race with the sort of live track. Um 
happening, and it had a picture of the track with little dots with numbers on them going around, so I could see visually how far apart the guys were. Mm-hmm. And man, those two factory Hondas were just gone from yep. third place. Yep. I think the gap to uh, Lorenzo when he finished in third was like 15 seconds different. From Pedrosa to from Lorenzo, Pedrosa, yeah. yeah, it was. And just a that's a huge, huge amount of space distance uh, when these guys are going so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun watching that. But it gave me a kind of a perspective of just how far apart these guys are, just how quick the leaders are. So fortunately, we had Zarka to spice things up. But on this one, the real fun came not from the thing itself, but from the aftertaste, from these championship points. Now, with Lorenzo doing well, with Rossi and Vinales doing quite paltry, uh, Marquez in second, Pedrosa really coming out and dominating it. It's thrown all the point standings into a huge kerfuffle. Uh, you were telling me before, what was it at the end of last race? Like, what was the big gap into the top four? It was 26 points between Rossi and Davizioso in fourth. Rossi in first and Davizioso in fourth. Well, that's completely shaken up now. Rossi retains <laughs> his championship lead after finishing in, what was it, 10th? Yes. <laughs> Yes. He finished in 10th, retains the lead in the world championship by all of two points over his teammate on the other factory, Yamaha, uh, Maverick Vinales with 60 points, and then Mark Marquez with 58. Four points separating Marquez from the leader. I just want to point out that a win gives you 25 points, whereas second place only gives you 20. So a win from any of these guys blows it, well, not quite wide open, but certainly is enough to put most any any one of the three in the lead. Um, so if any one of those three wins next race, that pretty much puts them uh, in charge of the championship. But then you got Pedrosa with 52 points, only 10 points separating him from the leader. Uh, Davizioso is down with 41, so significantly lower, and then it drops off from there. But, man, that is close. <laughs> well, yeah, considering that Mark Marquez was 18 points behind Rossi when they came into this race. So well, I mean, a, he, he crashed out in the second race of the season. There's so few data points. Uh, yeah, this far. yeah, it's it's huge. It's a it's getting to be a nail biter, and it's we're uh, only four races in. Oh, <laughs> uh, we've got a long way to go. But still, I mean, what I really want is I want this same kind of point standing, but I want it going into Valencia. I want it on the last race, so these oh, guys yeah. are really get a willing to just give everything and risk everything because. You know, taking second might as well have crashed. That's what I want. Yeah. I want four bikes all with the (laughs) chance of winning the championship on the last race, just completely desperate. That would be a pretty fun race to see. We'll we'll see what happens. I I would get up early to watch that one live. (laughs) These races, most of the European rounds happen at, what, six in the morning our time? Uh, It depends on where they are, but yeah. I do not do mornings, and so... But I would get up early and watch that. Which, <laughs> yeah. I don't even do that for Le Mans. <laughs> you did last year. Oh, that's right. I did, and I'm glad I did. But yeah. this is not the 24 Hours of Le Mans World Endurance Championship podcast. This is the <laughs> two people that are new to being fans of MotoGP rambling about it on the internet podcast. But speaking of Le Mans, that's where they are next. Oh, yeah. That's our next race. <laughs> yeah, next Great race. Great segue. <laughs> Next race is coming up, uh, not too far from the time we get this published, uh, in France at Le Mans. Not the same Circuit de la Sarthe, if you're into cars, that is the massive eight-point-something mile loop with the huge straights that broken up by chicanes and uh, the corners with all the fun names. 
But it is a good track in any case. And yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how that goes down. I really, really hope the points stay this close. I mean, there's no way they can mathematically, but I really hope that a lot of stuff stays in contention over the next few races. Well, who knows? Maybe someone will crash out and someone else will win. Maybe everyone will crash out and it'll be an all-satellite finish. (laughs) Oh, so like Asin of last year. Yes, like Asin when Jack Miller became Jack Asin. Yes. He's still got the donkey on his pit board, by the way. (laughs) Well, of course. Yeah, it just says... Actually, no, he doesn't have the donkey anymore. It just says Jackass. Yeah. Well, he's, he's... graduated from that i guess you know moving up in the world a moto gp <laughs> winner that is no small accomplishment no, regardless of the no, conditions not. so let's see we've covered the podium we've covered most of the qualification we've lamented with yamaha <laughs> we've cheered with lorenzo we've clenched our nails with zarko i think we've covered pretty much everything in this race i think so yeah um, any other buzzes you want to talk about before we go um, just a reminder to the listeners that we are not yeah, part buzz. of the media. Yeah, I got it. I just, <laughs> it I just, get old. <laughs> um, just a reminder that we are not part of the media. We are just two fans that are re- really into MotoGP and wanting to share that love with you. Um, that's right. Feel free to engage in and read and view all the same sources we do. We have no insider information. We get most of our stuff from the MotoGP uh, website from their video pass that we're subscribed to, as well as Crash.net, Asphalt and Rubber. Motorsports.com. Um, Motorsports.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think those are most of our main sources. I read anything else I can get to, but uh, those are most of the things that I read anyway. Yeah. Um, and if you have any questions for us or want us to have any suggestions, you can email us at Podcast at is it gmail it's at gmail gmail.com i was about to say our our uh, email it sounds like a question <laughs> you're sending them to some other strange persons yeah moto noobs podcast at gmail.com that's right send all your <laughs> keep on all your praise at the moto noobs podcast at gmail.com you can also leave comments at timestamps and things on soundcloud um yes we know we are choppy and awkward and strange but that's okay we're having fun and we hope you're having fun too Uh, thanks for bearing with us and (laughs) if that's all uh, take care bye